You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Nobody circles the wagons like the Buffalo Bills. Hi, I'm Bill's defensive end Greg Russo, and you're listening to Nate and the Fellas on Circling the Wagons podcast on the Buffalo Rumblings podcast network. Nobody circles the wagons like the Buffalo Bills. Go Bills! Welcome to the Circling the Wagons podcast, a podcast discussing the Bills all year round with interviews, news, recaps, and insightful fan discussion. Most times, here's your host and lifelong Bills fan, Nate. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Circling the Wagons, a Buffalo Rumblings podcast. I am your host, Nate. Thank you so much for joining us in another off-season episode leading up to training camp. And uh, just like every episode this offseason, I've had uh, amazing guests on, and uh, this next guest is no exception to that. He's a staff writer for BuffaloRumblings.com. He's a local film analyst of our favorite team. And I'd like to welcome Jeff Kentrowski, a.k.a. Scarecrow, back to the Circling the Wagons podcast. Jeff, it is so good to talk to you again. How are you doing? Uh, I'm excellent. How are you? I am doing well, doing well. You know, it is it is rare that I get a chance to talk to somebody that lives in the area uh, for, you know, in the Rochester area as I do, um, somebody that's had a chance to attend training camps. You know, we have a lot of listeners um, in the area that uh, maybe are either in the area that haven't been to a training camp before or maybe that aren't from the area that have never experienced training camp Um they're coming back. Uh, it's been three years since they've been here, St. John Fisher, um, and minus the debacle of the tickets and everything going on right now. Right. Um, you know, I, I don't imagine the experience is going to be so much different than it was um, just a few years ago. Uh, what was your experience in going to these? Um, what was it like for you? And do you have any fond memories of going to St. John Fisher? Yeah, so usually it's it's very well put together. So I always always want to applaud the staff and the team for putting together a pretty streamlined event. So you, you know, you park, you get there uh, with the buses from the assigned runs. And even uh, I start going probably, Oh, I don't even want to date myself when we've gone before, but it's, it's always the St. John Fisher. Uh, the biggest change with McDermott's crew really is just the number of practices has dwindled, which has kind of made it a little bit more rare experience. But uh, you know, you go there, you hang out, there's, there's vendors, uh, the main attractions, obviously the field, but um, always a well put together event and I, I can't recommend it highly enough and I could probably give uh, memories for the next hour or so but I'll try to stick with a couple uh, you know there's always an opportunity for something special uh, whether it's uh, you know Jabron Hamden throwing a football with one of my nephews or you know the last time I went it was the, uh, the Christmas in July uh, 
event, I believe, a few years ago, and I brought my youngest there, and I had her yelling uh, Reed Ferguson's name from from across this whole huge expanse because uh, the specialists are usually on the dedicated field, and um, so it's just him and, and a couple other guys, and she's screaming at the top of her lungs, and you know he looks over at her and waves, and uh, you know later on we got a, an autograph on an ornament that was the giveaway for the day. So there's always something like that happening. I mean, it's hard to go there and not have a story like that. Uh, but I, I could, uh, at the risk of putting my sister on blast, show some of the other uh, funny memories. Uh, you know, her asking, we'll see if you you understand why this is funny right away. This is kind of bringing us back. But um, she asked John Cordo how he liked the area. So the, the punchline there is, is John Cordo uh, was born in, in Western New York and grew up in Orchard Park. So, uh, you know, asking a, a local guy how we like the area so far. And in her defense, you know, I didn't know his backstory either. So I, I, I could have walked into the same trap. But, you know, just those little little tidbits, those memories uh, last a lifetime and, and make for, you know, great fandom. In her defense, he's like one of like three Bills players in like the last right. 20 years, you know, right. of the of the 80 or 90 players that they, you know, have on their team each year. Like, what are, what are the two or what three? That's not her fault. Right. I mean, it's just, she, she uh, you know, she'd be better off like winning the lottery than having a luck of, oh, you yeah. know, <laughs> that yeah. happened. And he, he laughed. I mean, he, yeah, he got it. So, but yeah, lots of good memories. Yeah, I always, it's funny, I'm, I'm glad you mentioned the very beginning, you know, the shuttle thing. People don't realize, like, you cannot park at St. John Fisher. It is a huge college, you know, it's a big, uh, you know, uh, area, you know, it, it, thousands of students, um, huge campus. You cannot park there unless you are either a faculty member or a student or unless you know somebody right. you cannot park there. So, like, you have to get a shuttle that, you know, it's only like 15, 20 minutes. Like you said, it's well put together. It's on time. It's free. Uh, right. But at the same time, like you cannot just park there and you're like, oh, you know, it's not like it's not like uh, Orchard Park. You know, you just go to one bill's drive and just park, you know, park in one of the lots, pay 20 bucks. Just get there. Like you cannot do that. Like you can't even be like dropped off at the street adjacent because it is a main road. You know, that, you is, <laughs> that is so it's just kind of funny. Yeah. You never think about those things uh, going into it. But yeah, yeah. I always I always appreciated the experience, like the ability to to get that close uh uh, but it's just kind of crazy what's happened. I mean, we, we'd be remiss to not talk about um, just, you know, what's happened with training camp and, you know, the tickets that were supposed to go out that were like basically snatched up before the general public really got a chance to do it between season ticket holders and I mean people waiting for three years to right. see this team. I mean, I live in the general area. I was looking forward to uh, you. Real quick, you also mentioned like McDermott kind of cracking down on practices, and one of the things where he's really cracked down on is prime time practices, because oh, yes. like, because like when you you're talking about going to for years, I've been going you know almost as long as they've been here, um, as a kid and growing up and stuff. So, um, they used to have like at least I want to say three or four like seven or eight p.m. practices, like either on a weeknight or a weekend or whatever, and there's none of that. That doesn't exist anymore. Like no. they've gotten all, rid of all those completely. No, I think that probably fueled some of the ticket fiasco this year because they've always been free. They've always been a hot commodity, but the, the scarcity plus the, the three-year hiatus, uh, just, you know, good luck. Plus the expectations, you know, the Super Bowl right. expectations, the best the team has ever been. Yeah, all these things combining. And it's just so funny because people that are getting tickets right now, like you basically have to take at least a half day from work because if you're not going right. on the weekend, I was planning on going on a Monday, like taking a half day and going at a 945 practice. I'm like, oh, I'm easily going to be able to get tickets to that practice, you know. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, think again, not this think year. Again. Not this year, Nate. No, no. Uh, so so one of the reasons I had you on, besides the fact that you're a great writer, besides the fact you write for a great site, um, you look at things a lot in retrospect, whether it's having to do with specific players, like you did for a free agency and the draft, whether it's reviewing our own team like you're doing right now, looking at the 2021 season, the 2021 playoff series uh, on the offensive side of the ball, on the defensive side of the ball. Um, you always put together great, great, um, you know, articles where you, you put in several gifs of like, this is what I see and this is what I mean. And here's a perfect example of such. Always like that. Always appreciate that. Um, and I know our listeners and, and, and readers do as well. Um, I watch the game in real time. So, so for me, um, I haven't had a chance. I don't want to go back to the divisional game, to be honest, against the Chiefs and rewatch that one. Most I know of it's you... good. <laughs> Most of it's phenomenal, for the record. <laughs> yeah. Um, let's talk. Let's talk generalities at first. Um, when you look back at the tape and you look at you know things that defined plays that defined the 2021 season and whatnot, um, let's start on the defensive side of the ball. Um, what stands out to you now? after reviewing that, that maybe you didn't necessarily see when you were first watching those games in real time? Yeah, the answer to that's always going to be a ton because uh, I can't divest myself from being a fan first, especially when it's game day. So real-time game, I'm like most people, I'm just following the ball. So it's hard to, to really digest and try and get any sort of deeper understanding. And I also want to put out a disclaimer too. Uh, one thing I've, I've written in a number of my articles is Know who you're you're reading. Know whose content you're you're absorbing. So, you know, if you're you're looking towards me, uh, I'm not an X's and O's guy so much as a, a body mechanics guy. So a lot of that is hard to do unless you're really focusing on one player. Uh, I'll, I'll call it Dan on the site, uh, more of an X's and O's guy. You know, you look at the full 22, and the 22 is, is kind of like the matrix comes into you know this is the scheme, this is the play. That is not me, for the record. So, uh, you know, I, I really need to look at a specific player to, to kind of get at what I think is important because to me it's more the body mechanics uh, aspect of things. So the, the that's the long version. The short answer is that it's really a lot when you're, you're going back and, and looking at a lot of things. And, um, you know, one of the things that, that did surprise me a little bit in kind of a negative way, uh, if you, you read my free agency stuff, it was the first time ever I put for Jerry Hughes, uh, bring him back only if the price is right. So seeing that kind of drop off in real time when you're going back through film, um, some of that speed diminishment is is uh, a little bit harder to see with a fan favorite player like that. So that was a, a bit of a surprise to, to actually be able to capture that. Um, you know, but looking through it at a lot of the other guys, uh, Greg Rousseau, Groot, um, you know, seeing some of the stuff he was doing, the, the stat sheet might not reflect it, but just the way he uses his length and size and uh, really the, the instincts, for a rookie, basically, uh, you know, really uh, stood out there upon closer review. That's harder to see. You know, when you're watching live, it is really follow the ball more so. So that was a huge one. Uh, and then always what I encourage people to do, uh, I know McDermott and Frazier get a, a lot of flack sometimes for not um, adjusting. But I have to say, in, in all the years I've been doing this, they are probably the most flexible duo of defensive coaches. Uh, going back to even, you know, year one where, they give Marcel Darius uh, an extended tryout, then mid through the season, and like, nope, it's not working out. <laughs> and then they have to completely rearrange their defense, uh, you know, switch to nickel and, and do a lot of other crazy things. So uh, I'm a big fan of that, um, you know, seeing where the in-game adjustments come. 
um, and seeing where, where some of those things might happen. So those are things on the defensive side of the ball that, that certainly can stand out with a rewatch that you wouldn't get with that live view. So a couple of things there. I mean, last time, and now it's been three years since we've talked. So, um, when we talked last time, I remember asking you, you know, which players do not get enough credit for how well they play in real time when you rewatch on film. And you mentioned LaShawn McCoy, like being amazing to watch, but you right. also always defended Jerry Hughes, which I always appreciated because like, that's just a play player that we just can't fully, you look at the stat sheet and you're like, he had two and a half sacks last year or whatever it was, two, three sacks. Yeah. Like it wasn't that many. Um, and this is, this is interesting to hear that you were okay with him leaving. Like, you know, because it's like now is the time to, to move on. Um, when you looked at Greg Rousseau, which we kind of pencil in as the starter opposite Von Miller, perhaps right now yep. at this point, um, you said he looked better as a rookie than you would have thought, you know, lengthwise. Now, did you see that on the run defense side of the ball, the pass rush, or both? It's a little bit of both. Uh, you know, we were talking about obviously physical traits, they're going to creep up no matter what. And, uh, you know, that that's one of those, can the person adequately use it? Uh, you know, going to throw another name there, Ty Inseki, uh, you know, on the offensive side. We had around for a couple of years. Just the, the physicality he had, he was just so big, so strong. I mean, it shows up no matter what play type it is. I think Rousseau is probably pretty similar there. Um, you know, again, uh, embattled uh, linebacker Tremaine Edmonds, uh, you know, a lot of times he does not get a ton of credit. Um, but the physicality, how fast he moves and how fluid, you know, the fluidity, and I think some of that showed up with Rousseau, a little more fluidity than I was maybe expecting, uh, which I think is nice because that can that can translate to a lot of other things, um, you know, down the line. That that natural ability to move, it's almost like, uh, you know, we've all been through that awkward phase growing up, you know, coming into your own body, or sometimes you're you're tripping over your shoe on shoelaces, and you know, sometimes you see that with players where, sure, they can put up an insane amount of reps on the bench press, but. You know, can they use that that strength effectively? And and Rousseau, uh, you know, looks like he's he's comfortable in his own skin, which is uh, it's huge. So I, I would say that that applies to both. What about um, the guys behind Rousseau? The guy the guys that Rousseau is going to have to be battling for for that defensive end two role. I mean, you're talking about um, AJ Epinesa. Uh, you're talking about Boogie Basham. I mean, I know Boogie Basham wasn't active all of last season, and it was his rookie season, so, you know, you got to kind of take that into account. I mean, what do you think about those two players, um, and are you excited to see what they can they can do in, in, in 2022? Yeah, I, I hope both of them take a big step forward. That's the best thing for the Bills. Uh, you know, Boogie Basham stood out uh, for a couple reasons. High efficiency. So if you take a look at his stats, he wasn't on the field much, but when he was, he got pretty good pressure rate, pretty good numbers for the amount of time he spent. So if you're you're a volume stat reader, you're not going to like Boogie Basham. If you're an efficiency guy, you're probably going to say, hey, he actually stood out pretty good. Um, Epinesa, I think, is uh, one I'd like to take a, a, a bigger step forward. Um, one thing that I think the, the coaches that the Bills really love is that versatility. And uh, I'm not sure Epinesa's quite there. Uh, you know, I think he's a little bit stronger when he's allowed to just attack and, and go crazy. Um, but one of the things that, coming back, uh, you know, Jerry Hughes again, fans are disappointed in his low sack numbers, but if you're being asked to play the perimeter and contain a, a mobile quarterback, you're not going to get a sack. You know, it's just not going to happen. And, 
you know, that ability to be within the script and play instinctively when the play changes or when the script changes, uh, you know, from underneath you. You're playing a lot of dynamic teams in the NFL these days. You're not, uh, it's not like a Drew Bledsoe statue. You know, if you, you can get him to hold the ball, you're going to take him down. That's not what's going to happen. So that ability to change on the fly, uh, you know, when the play breaks down, I, I think is a, a place I would like to see Epinesa move forward um, and take that bigger step. Uh, but a lot of good things when he's allowed to attack, you know, when that, that's his responsibility and the play bears that out. Um, you know, I think he played very well. As far as um, the defense goes, um, I always, I'm always curious about the secondary and specifically when like Tredavious White wasn't in the mix because of that injury in, I think it was like late October, early November, he went down with the ACL. You're talking about a secondary that had Dane Jackson starting and um, Levi Wallace. Um, Dane Jackson is still with the team uh, entering his third year. Uh, I think as of right now, we kind of hope he's the third cornerback with Kair Elam and Tredavious White starting, but at the same time, I have this feeling Tredavious White isn't going to start the season, and it's just because of how late in the season that injury was, the normal timeline. I mean, you know, we're so used to guys beating timelines, or at least hearing about guys beating timelines. Right. Uh, you know, you think about Adrian Peterson coming back in like eight months or seven months or whatever it was, and having an amazing season. Um, guys aren't always like that. Uh what do you think about Dane Jackson's, you know, uh, second half of the season? I mean, what you saw for him in the secondary, um, even into like the divisional game where it feels like Mahomes kind of picked apart that secondary. Um, did you get a chance to take a look at him at all and how he kind of fit into that loss? So not too specifically for Dane Jackson, uh, just because, he, you know, we kind of get caught up on our projects and uh, free agency is a big one for me, which usually takes us pretty much all the way to draft season. You know, it takes us pretty close to that. So uh, for some reason, Dane Jackson just kind of got missed. Uh, but obviously, you know, you pick up a, a few things here and there. Uh, so I won't claim to be a Dane Jackson expert. But overall, you know, I think he played pretty well. And uh, any any long-term readers of mine will know that I'm the the biggest proponent of the weakest chain uh, philosophy. You know, team's only as strong as its weakest link, and uh, the Bills had hell of a stat, uh, hell of a season, and, and, you know, hard to argue with a lot of their numbers. You know, a lot of people will, will deflect and say, you know, they played a lot of easier teams, and to some extent that's probably true. Um, but on the other hand, um, you know, I, I could talk your ear off on how far and away they were, were better than a lot of teams statistically where, you know, uh, most teams are within a, a half a yard away from each other or something and the, the stats and the bills are like three yards, you know, per ahead of the next best team at, at number two. It's just ridiculous numbers. So Dane Jackson overall played very well. And, uh, you know, a lot of that I think is the trust that they have in Micah Hyde and Jordan Boyer, uh, to roam the back half and, and take care of things if they start to break down. And, uh, if you go through, um, I'll, I'll plug one of my, my articles. Uh, if you go look at the takeaway series, uh, that I did just a little bit ago, you can see some examples where Micah Hyde and Jordan Poyer are bailing out uh, a lot of the other team. You know, their, their instincts. Um, big one. Everybody loves it. The Micah Hyde interception against the Patriots. Everybody knows the play I'm talking about. If you look at that, I'm not going to call anybody out. Uh, but if Micah Hyde is not there, that very well may be a touchdown. So he is, he's not only bailing somebody out, but he's doing it in like historical fashion. It, it's one of those plays that should be on a highlight reel for the next century. It's just so good. Uh, so, I'm not going to, you know, to, to damn Dane Jackson, but I think he played very well for the system. And, uh, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if, if 
Trey White's not 100% that they do roll with him and, and Kyrie Elam to start the season, just to give him a little bit more time to rest because you get a lot of leeway with that safety tandem in the back. Yeah. Yeah. You, you know, it's funny is you can, you can, uh, you won't say that player's name, but uh, let's just say that he's not on the team anymore because I remember who exactly who that was um, from that. But yeah, yeah, definitely check out that article as well. I'm I'm glad you mentioned earlier um, about the defensive side of the ball. Uh, you mentioned specifically McDermott and Frazier's ability to adjust in game and change for that. I mean, was there a specific instance that you saw like where, you're like, wow, like they were originally going with this and then they saw that it wasn't working and they changed it to that. Um, is there something that stood out to you when you mentioned that? Not necessarily this year. I don't know if they needed to quite as much this year or this season. I think their their original game plan generally worked better, uh, you know, or through the whole game. Um, I will say, though, just in, in terms of confidence level, the, the Tampa Bay game stands out. Uh, what a tale of two halves. I mean, basically getting beat up and down the first half and then completely shut him down the second. Uh, some of that obviously is just a game flow, but uh, you know, some of that could be some minor tweaks. The, the one game that does stand out, and this is maybe taking us back further than we want to go, but the AFC championship game lost to the to Kansas city uh, was one that I, I definitely spent a lot of time reviewing. Um, and a lot of people really damned them for not making adjustments. Like how come you're not, you know, doing some more press man off the line uh, in the second half when you know you're getting beat up in the first half. And the reality is they did do that. They came out in, in the third quarter and they started doing a lot more press coverage uh, with the secondary. And uh, the, the problem is Andy Reid and Kansas City, they, they just had good answers for that too. You know, uh, people don't like hearing this, I guess. But, uh, you know, when it comes to a lot of things, we want Josh Allen and the Bills offense to be unstoppable. Well, unfortunately, there's a couple other teams that that have answers for just about anything you can throw at them too. And, and that game, we happen to be facing one of them, but it wasn't for lack of trying. It wasn't for lack of adjustments. It was just, you know, you got one of the best players, uh, you know, in the history of the league, potentially right across from you, you know, your, your best shot just wasn't good enough that day. Uh, unfortunately again, this year. Yeah. Yeah. Let's talk about the one this year, specifically with the defensive side of the ball and adjustments. Um, the last 13 seconds of the game. It's funny. It's funny. Like in June, I want to say I got a, an email from a listener that was like, just one sentence. It was like, Hey, what happened in that 13 seconds of the game? And it's so funny because, um, you know, I've been recording ever since that game and I think about it probably daily, probably every other day. And you know what? It's funny. I still don't. I At first I laughed at that. I'm like, why would somebody email me that? And then I'm just like, you know what? Like, that's all of us. So that's all of us still wondering what happened. And, uh, and, and I'll, here, I'll, I'll tell a quick story. I have a, I have a good friend of mine who, uh, who follows football way more than most normal people should, um, more than you and I. And like, that's his life. And I, and I love him for it. He's a great guy. He's a great guy to talk to about sports. And he's a, but he's a 49ers fan. Um, and, and he watched that game and I asked him after, I'm like, you're completely objective. Like you don't have a dog in this fight. What happened in that 13 seconds that like the bills just couldn't do anything. And his explanation was, uh, he's like, I think they just went like, they just didn't know what happened. Like they're shell shocked that what had happened actually happened. And they were just like so emotional that they didn't, they they weren't actually mentally prepared and emotionally prepared 
to do what it took in the last 13 seconds to stop Patrick Mahomes from marching down the field. Not talking, well, he was talking squib kick. I'm not going to ask you about that, but um, I wrote a whole article on that. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, let's 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 talk about that then. Like, I mean, as far as as far as that goes, I mean, let's first talk then squib kick, and then we'll talk about maybe the lack of defensive adjustment afterwards. Yeah. So, so the the one thing I would add there is I wasn't necessarily calling for a squib kick for there. Uh, you think squib, you think it's a little bit lower, and uh, you, you have a little higher chance for the outman to get it, which could be problematic in that scenario because you know again a field goal is going to tie, uh, which we all unfortunately remember. <laughs> uh, but with a, a field goal to tie, you know what you're trying to get out of a shorter kick, uh, non-touchback is is you want to burn time. And with a squib kick, you're, you're going to burn some time. But if that up man gets it, then you're giving him distance in exchange for the time. And that's not something that I would uh, definitely encourage there. You know, 13 seconds, most times you're going to win anyway. But, you know, against Mahomes and, and Kansas City, you want every advantage. So uh, the term I, I like to hear is mortar kick, which is really high and just short, uh, you know, or, or at least close enough to the end line where the returner has to make that decision. And hopefully you kick it, you know, somewhere between the zero and the five. And uh, one of the things I did prior to the season, I, I did another article on why I was hoping uh, they were going to start doing uh, basically corner kickoffs. Um, just the, the geometry beyond it doesn't seem like a lot, but a, a dead center kickoff at the end line does have a, a decent chunk of yards shorter than if you were to kick it at the corner. So uh, I know they've been practicing that. I started seeing that, um, you know, midway through the season where they started doing that a little more, more commonly. So that's really what I was advocating for is really more of a mortar kickoff towards the corner, hopefully get the best of all worlds. The mortar kick that high in, into the corner is going to give you, um, you know, more distance or more time, I should say, more hang time for your coverage unit to get down there to hopefully prevent a, a, a major return. Um, and you're going to get a few seconds off the clock as well when the person's attempting to, to return that. Uh, but kind of coming back to your friend's point with the shell shock, uh, you know, they, they were trying to call for either a, a squib or a mortar. We'll, we'll probably never know which exact one they were calling for, but it did kind of leak that they were calling for a non-touchback, uh, and that got botched somehow. So, And the special it, teams coordinator isn't here anymore, so maybe. Yeah, connect a couple dots maybe. Yeah. <laughs> so, and, and uh, you know, we'll never 100% know, but, but maybe, maybe we have an inkling of what, what happened. But you have a team that sounds like on the sidelines probably wasn't a little bit of disarray uh, trying to get things set. And, you know, time's, time accelerates at the funniest moments. And that's probably one where uh, they, they probably couldn't catch a breath to, to figure out what they were doing. So I, I, people who are more X and O uh, expertise than I am will probably be able to, to tear apart the exact play calls better, um, you know, but if you take a look at some of the, the content that's out there, you'll see that those play calls weren't as disastrous as maybe they appear on first glance. Uh, it's, it's one of those, uh, if it works, you're called a genius. If it doesn't work, you're, you're called a fool. And uh, there's one in particular, um, you know, you can see Jerry Hughes almost gets home. If he, if he gets home, game's over. But almost isn't good enough. So they, they didn't. And, uh, you know, you have Kelsey going on record with Mahomes saying, hey, I, I saw what they were covering. I, I thought I knew the play call and knew how to beat it. And, uh, you know, Kelsey's another name cannot, you know, sell that guy short. So uh, two, two of the best players in the league uh, came together, saw weakness in the defense. You know, you call a different play, they, they see a different weakness, perhaps. You know, they've been doing it all game. Uh, and back and forth. I mean, the second half of that game is just uh, unstoppable football versus unstoppable football. So 
you know, there's probably some things that could have been improved, and um, I'm sure McDermott and Frazier know that better than I do. So I want to now talk about the offensive side of the ball in 2021. Um, you mentioned that, I mean, one of the big, like, uh, narratives um, that I'm thinking about this uh, this offseason leading into training camp is what is the offense going to look like under Ken Dorsey than it did under Brian Dable? And the first question I have is specifically because you mentioned, you know, Leslie Frazier's ability to uh, cor- correct the game plan or maybe change in he didn't maybe have to do it so much in 2021 uh they did have the number one defense but like uh (laughs) look look back at the offensive side of the ball um did you see that because i mean watching it live i did not see that necessarily maybe sometimes like i mean they still had a really good offense um i still think brian dable is a good offensive coordinator a really good offensive coordinator but i still think sometimes he lacked that ability to change or adjust when he when he should have or maybe overthink it and stick with his guns when he should have changed game plans did you see any of that same um sort of uh you know theme when you were rewatching any of the 2021 tape so one in particular stands out and uh i'm gonna bring up some bad memories again but the patriots win game uh the inability to adjust in that game and, and I, i've actually noticed a couple of years prior to where it's almost become a joke where, where i've gone on record saying Brian Dable is good for at least one, uh, you know, passing game where, where he shouldn't be. So the, there's a, I think a Philadelphia game, um, a few years back, uh, just pass, pass, pass. And, you know, you got Carson Wentz ripping us apart with his legs. It's like, come on. Uh, you know, then, <laughs> then obviously that this year's one with the wind game, you know, Josh Allen is one of the few quarterbacks who could probably make anything happen in that wind, but even there, um, you know, a, couple of narratives from that game that the Patriots were not running all over anybody um, you had a, a couple of fluke runs uh, one really fluky that's about it and then um, you know they, they got a couple of decent chunks here and there um, but that should have been an easy victory for the Bills um, and Brian Dables uh, live by the pass die by the pass was a die by the pass that day so I, I do see that once in a while he does get caught into that and uh you know, whether that's poor game planning, whether that's stubbornness, um, you know, one of the, the first plays of that game that sticks out should be uh, Josh Allen's touchdown pass. Maybe that gave him some false confidence. Um, you know, that, hey, he could do it once, he could do it again. Well, no, that, that just, I mean, living in the area, um, I always say there's two types of weather for, for Western New York. You have a perfect kite weather, which means you got nice steady wind, perfect kite weather, and then you have tear your kite to shreds weather. So it's either steady, good kite flying, or it's going to just be completely destroying uh, because it's way too much wind. And uh, we had destroy your kite weather that day. And anybody who grew up here would know, run the dang ball, Dable. So uh, I-, I could see where, where that's a fair criticism. <laughs> like the one time where, like, I'm one of those people that's of the opinion, like, I, I don't know, I'm just... I just always cringe whenever Josh runs anytime, whether it's a designed run, whether it's him leaking out of the pocket. And, and don't worry. It's, it's, I love the guy and I think he's uber talented. I'm just so afraid of losing him because that's right. our entire season if it happens. And I'm like one of those people that's more like, you know, not super, you know, uh, 
I'm more I'm more conservative when it comes to like a lot of things in life, like investing and or whatever. Right. Like just just like just I I don't want to risk everything in one shot. And I always think about that. Um, that was one of the games where he just decided like it's not it's not worth running the ball with Josh Allen. Right. Yeah, I don't. I, I I honestly don't even know. It's just. I could look up the numbers, but I don't really want to remind myself, honestly. You're, just, you're so pass-heavy in a game that, you know, you couldn't ask for a worse day to pass in. I mean, uh, you know, cover the ball in, in broken glass or whatever is about the only way it'd be worse for that to throw it at your quarterback to throw it. But, I mean, just unbelievable. And, and that's what that's what he kept going with. But uh-huh. and I, I think it was crazy because it, I think it was around the Saints game. Uh, I think it might have been the week after. And the Saints game, they had gone run-heavy. So they, they had been willing to go run heavy against the saints who had a depleted roster uh you know nobody really who, who was a real threat to them um they went run heavy which was okay there but you know against a, a team that you know should have dictated that they they decided to go opposite of common sense <laughs> i always point to uh, i think it was maybe it was three years ago now but it was it was against the cleveland browns in cleveland and the cleveland browns had a terrible pass defense a great run defense and right. what does Dable do is tries to just run it down their throat and yep. it's just like you don't don't do this and, right. and Baker Mayfield had the game of his life but it's still yeah. like they just they just barely I think it was like 2019 like that was a game they could have won easily yeah that, that's a game I think they should have won yeah I, I know which one you're talking about that's one where um I, I remember the rewatch was painful <laughs> oh geez I don't envy you for that at all especially especially specifically on the losses <laughs> so so we talked about you know um some of the takeaways on the defensive side of the ball I asked you specifically about Brian Dable but on the offensive side of the ball when you looked at any specific players or anything like that was there anything that surprised you from rewatching um the tape as opposed to watching it live So the the tape the biggest surprise was probably um Emmanuel Sanders um uh, statistically you take a look at him and, and you could say maybe ho hum um and when you think of highlights, it's probably not the first name that comes up, but some of the stuff I'm going through uh, right now specifically, uh, I mean, you know, I'm doing Josh Allen's uh, passing touchdowns for the years, my current uh, hype slash analysis series. And uh, one of the touchdowns to him in, in volume one, uh, you just see the way he, he plays the defensive back and is able to burst through. And Josh having that chemistry with him already, because uh, you know, volume one's all the, the early season games. Um, to have that trust and faith in him that he's going to come free right in the end zone uh, was just phenomenal to see. So he's standing out a little more than I remembered uh, in live action, uh, for sure. He's he's probably my number one guy. Anyone else? Anyone else that's on the team currently? Maybe. Hopefully Gabriel uh, Davis. I mean, so, well, I mean, you've seen Gabe Davis, so like, yeah. Hopefully that. I mean, I know there's chemistry there. We all know there's chemistry there, but how was that rewatching him again? Rewatched him's always a, a delight. I mean, he just has. Excellent body control, and uh, right now we might get a dachshund interruption, so I'll apologize oh, for that. But, I uh, love that. They're my favorite interruptions. <laughs> all right, perfect. Uh, so, yeah, now he's always a delight to watch, and, uh, you know, the big thing is, is how is he going to handle that extra volume uh, that we're anticipating this year, and, and can he be as consistent, I think, is what we're looking for. But um, he's one that I would call a surprise because from year one, he's been impressive with a lot of things. I remember I got chewed out quite a bit. I think my plays that defined for the year because uh, – you know, against the Colts, he had two really nice toe-tapping catches, and uh, I didn't include either one of them. So I think I got ripped apart for that. But um, but it's almost because that's almost expected from him. He's got excellent body control. Yeah, he's so he's so incredible. I'm really looking forward to see what happens to him in in this uh, this upcoming season. Uh, we mentioned 
like some kind of like funny narratives between like Jerry Hughes, like people you kind of briefly mentioned Tremaine Edmonds. Like there right. are definitely some narratives out there from the fan base, from people like me that watch it in real time only that don't get a chance to relook at it. Um, are there any of yours that you see? Cause you, you're on Twitter, you're on social media. You see what Bill's mafia says and, and, and writes about, uh, is there anything that you look at where they talk about certain players or certain things and you're just like, that's just not true? Because for me, like the Jerry Hughes one, I could understand because like, I didn't see a lot of Jerry Hughes. Like, I know he's good and it's not his fault that he's technically like, you know, right. the number one defensive end. That's not his fault. Uh, but at the same time, it's like, man, I would have liked to have seen more for people like you that watch the tape saw a little bit more. Are there any other like narratives out there that that you've seen Bill's Mafia talk about where you're just like that's that's just not right. I'm gonna dig myself a hole here and go to the the <laughs> the big lightning rod Tremaine Edmonds. It's where you got to go with a question like that because I think there's little narratives, uh, but most of them have have uh, maybe some some grain of truth. Uh, and, and I'm basically calling people liars at this point, but uh, <laughs> I, don't, I don't know if I want to go that that much of a hot take. But no, the big one. Uh, Big one I can say is a lot of people call it Tremaine Edmonds for his seeming inability to, to hit hard. They want a hard hitting middle linebacker. And, and first thing, obviously, Bills don't even use a middle linebacker. They use, uh, you know, a 4-2 or a nickel defense. So there's no real such thing as a, as a, a middle for what they do. So that's kind of the first notion there. But, um, I remember actually going back to your first question, training camp, uh, his rookie year. And, uh, training camp, you get so much closer look at the team at times. It's just unreal, uh, to see, to see that kind of live action from that close. And I've been to a bunch of training camps. I've, I've been to a bunch of games live. I've obviously watched a ton of film and he was very easy to pick out because he is gigantic. He is just a giant on the field. And I remember a couple of training hits, uh, just watching him and I'm like, if I had to be, if I had to choose who's going to tackle me, it's not going to be him because he can hit hard. So that is, that is, have no truth to it. I've seen him do it. Um, I've seen him do it even in practice, let alone, you know, in games, I could pull out some highlights I've seen. Uh, but, but again, it's one of those things that, you know, you, you follow the ball, you follow the pace of things and in, in real time, plays are quickly forgotten. You know, if he gets a good stop on, on second and eight, you know, and pulls up third down, your memory's automatically going to go to that third down. The third down's more important um, from a, a psychological standpoint. So his second down, maybe he had a great play, but it's going to be forgotten. The other thing I, I like to, to point out with him, too, is, you know, what are the responsibilities, even as big as he is, in order to have that kind of hit stick type of tackle where it's like a, a Madden reel rather than real life, uh, the physics have to support it. So if he's kind of floating in that middle zone where, you know, he's half coverage, uh, you know, half spy or, or whatever they have him doing for the play, it's hard for him to accelerate. You know, he's not in a position to accelerate into the tackle. So him existing is about all you're going to get in those cases. And that, that's one of those kind of Jerry Hughes moments where, uh, you know, yeah, he's not getting a sack, but he, he's also not being asked to get a sack. So why would you expect it if, if uh, you know, he's 10 yards away from the quarterback at all times? It's just <laughs> not going to happen. So I do think that it would be nice to see more highlight plays. But on the other hand, I'm not sure the scheme allows him to get as many highlight plays as, as fans would get. But as far as ability goes, I will I will call anybody out. And uh, if you need to have me on for a second one to defend the take or, or to you know read angry tweets, 
uh, about what I'm saying here. It is absolutely not true that he cannot hit. I've seen him do it, and there are times where I'm like, I am so happy I am not that person with the ball. <laughs> we are joined by Jeff Gontrowski, a.k.a. Scarecrow, uh, BuffaloRumblings.com writer, talking about uh, training camp, talking about um, some of the narratives back from 2021 from his film review. And then I want to uh, switch gears, which kind of has to do with Tremaine Edmonds. You're mentioning the narratives with Tremaine Edmonds. Um, one of them has to do with the defensive line. Now, what's cool, like I said, is you go through like free agents that are coming aboard. You start taking some film. You start looking at some of their uh, season work. Uh, you start talking about, um, you know, you start looking at draft picks that the Bills have had. I'm going to talk specifically about the defensive line right now. And at least for me, it feels like the Bills upgraded on the defensive line, which is obviously a good thing for Tremaine Edmonds. It hopefully helps uh, people see uh, that he is a better player because you'll have more gaps filled up by these players, maybe like a Daquan Jones and stuff like that. Um, what have you seen from this defensive line? And, and should Bills fans be as excited as I am about who they have coming in and that it could be better than what they've had? I think that's the potential. The thing I would pull back a little bit on some of the excitement, uh, although I do have a lot of faith in Frazier and McDermott, but the changes specifically in the personnel grouping have me very curious on whether or not we're actually going to be looking at the same type of scheme exactly. I think there's going to be a lot of similarities. Don't, don't get me wrong. They're not going to change like a three, four, you know, completely revamp things. But, uh, you know, you really had a lot of reliance for run stopping with, with Star Lotulele. Uh, you know, and, and kind of the big space eater. And I don't know if you have a replacement for, for what he used to do. I don't see that there's a replacement on the team. Uh, Harrison Phillips last year was an attempt to do some of the stuff he did. And uh, I love Phillips, but uh, he, he just doesn't do the same thing. And that's okay. You know, he's a different player, different guy. Um, so I think some of the changes are, are going to be exciting to see what they do with that. Uh, you know, we're, we're maybe not relying on a space eater, but they're relying on guys who may be a little more, bit stronger or better technique-wise, perhaps. Um, Tim Settle is a name I want to keep an eye on because, um, you know, I don't say this as an insult, but he comes across as a jack-of-all-trades kind of player um, on the line. And, um, you know, that, there's nothing wrong with that. I think that's that's very valuable in the McDermott-Frazier defense uh, where you can do multiple things and, um, you know, do it well. So, in, you know, he got a lot of solid victories uh, against Mitch Morse, who's a player I absolutely love to watch. I think he's a phenomenal center and undervalued by a lot of people. So to see him get some victories against a player of Mitch Morris's caliber uh, when I was doing the film review is is just awesome. Um, so that that's a great upside, I think. Um, you know, Harrison Phillips and Shaq Lawson, or sorry, Jordan Phillips, I'm sorry, uh, and Shaq Lawson, a couple names that we, we should remember. Um, they haven't aged enough where we should expect a cliff, so they should hopefully be the same players we're used to. Uh, Lawson in particular was a guy I felt the Bills would probably look towards to replace the Lorenzo alexander kind of Swiss Army knife role where, he, you know, he could be defensive end one play, linebacker the next, and a defensive tackle, you know, right after that. So three plays, three different positions, uh, you know, that versatility that he brings in his, his uh, work ethic is apparently unrivaled according to everything I've read on the man. So that's something that absolutely I was looking forward to. It didn't come to fruition. Unfortunately, they parted ways. But is that something that will return? You know, with, with Alexander departing and loss and leaving, the Bills didn't really have a player that I felt uh, and I, I think they seem to maybe have mirrored that, didn't have a player that could rotate between all three of those spots. So that's another thing that could come up, uh, you know, where, where you're looking at maybe they're going to shore things up just based on that chaos 
that they can bring with with some of the players. So um, Von Miller upgrade, uh, obviously. So uh, it's going to see how the, the other three spots on the line kind of shake out. Um, and Ed Oliver, you know, if he takes another step forward, that uh, that could be some some good benefits. So I do think the potential there is to be uh, quite a bit better. Um, but again, we got to see what they actually do with it and how it plays out. Oh yeah, for sure, for sure. So you mentioned like new players, you know, on the roster. You know, talking about Tim Settle Jr. Um, you know, there's. I'm really curious uh, as far as like new players coming to the roster, whether they're a free agent, whether they're a rookie, uh, perhaps. I mean, you you've had a look at at all of these guys at, in some way, shape, or form. Um, you know, maybe. Uh, is there a specific player that you looked at in film and you're like, man, like I cannot wait to see what this guy does in a Bills uniform, or I can't wait to see how Frazier or Dorsey or whoever can like scheme this player up because there's talent there. I would just want to see him in a Bills uniform. Yeah, that, that'd probably be Settle Jr. Uh, for for this year's edition. Uh, I like that jack of all trades kind of idea. I think it translates well to, to what the Bills do. Um, and I think he's going to be a good fit for that. So I'm hoping that I'm right. <laughs> and if not, I, I'm, uh, you know, if I'm wrong, I'm hopefully it's in the wrong direction and he just beats all expectations. Uh, another player, um, you know, it's tough. You don't want to project a guy to break out, you know, with a second team or third team or, or whatever happens to be. If the guy's got a chance and is released, uh, you know, for whatever reason, you tend to think that there's probably a reason for that. So it's hard to be super excited, but, but then you think about Jordan Poyer and Micah Hyde, who I, I mentioned earlier, both uh, essentially unwanted from their prior teams as it comes across. And if you look at them now, can you imagine being the team that let one of those guys go? Like, unbelievable. So I'm hoping Tim Saddle Jr. is is the next version of that because that jack-of-all-trades player on the Bills' defensive line can be a wrecking ball if, if used correctly and a player that can uh, maximize his talent. So I'm crossing my fingers. Um you know, and it's hard for me to project some other guys. I'm enthusiastic about Jordan Phillips. I'm enthusiastic about Shaq Lawson. Uh, but I've already seen him in a Bills uniform. So I think I have uh, pretty good expectations that, that will match reality. So that new piece of, of Settle Jr. I think is going to be huge. So uh, what about, I want to talk about players that could take a jump in 2022 from where they were in 2021, whether they were they had a pretty good season in 2021 and they had the ability to take another step, maybe like an Ed Oliver, like you mentioned, or they kind of had a poor season in 2021 that could still take a jump and still be a good contributor this next season. Are there any players that stand out to you where you're thinking like, hey, hey, this we Bills fans should watch out for this guy. Um, he, he might be that he might be that person. Big one, uh, Jameson Crowder. I think it's a name to watch. Um, Cole Beasley, I think it's uh, well known how much I love his route running. And I think he even did very well last year. I'm kind of surprised he's he's uh, teamless at the moment. I'm not sure what else is going on. Uh, but I thought he had the talent still last year to, to be a contributor. And obviously, statistically, he was. And this year, I don't I don't know why. Uh, but for Jameson Crowder, when I did the, the All-22 for him, what stood out, he's not as crisp of a route runner as Cole Beasley because that is a very high bar to clear. Uh, but faster. I think his straight line speed appeared faster. And um, he's had very good seasons prior to being with the Bills, um, where I, I think you'd look at it and say, yeah, he's, he's a great player and uh, we should be proud of what he accomplished, but never with a quarterback of Josh Allen's caliber. So I think if 
I'm seeing what I think I'm seeing where he developed that quick chemistry last year with Emmanuel Sanders. I like to see what he does this year with Jamison Crowder and not necessarily a talent step forward, uh, but a surrounding talent step forward, I think could make a huge difference uh, with Jamison Crowder. And, and similarly on the offensive side, Ryan Bates is another name I'm going to watch. I've been uh, high on the, the Bates train for a while there uh, from the first time I ever looked at him and uh, kind of wondered why he hadn't been sprinkled in a little bit more and felt a little bit justified in that that initial uh, impression years ago last year when he came in and, and really looked like he solidified that offensive line even further. Uh, so the, the question for Bates is, can he take that step forward of not being a, a partial starter, but can he actually win out in camp, prove he really was not a mirage last year, and can he be there for a full season uh, of that high level? So that that's a, a big step forward, obviously, for, for a player in his shoes. I, I love the fact that you brought up Ryan Bates and you were part of the, what do they call it? The Bates hive, right? Like, like people... I'm not, if there's an actual fan club, I should probably have joined it a while ago. There is, there is. You're, oh, okay. you're the president. You didn't know that? Like you oh, are the yeah, president. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or would it be, would it be, if it's a hive, would you be the, what the queen bee is that? Anyway, that's weird. Hey, so <laughs> that's all right. We'll take it. We'll, we'll take, take it. it. Yeah. Um, I'm so glad you brought that up. Um, you know, are there, have there ever been other players that you've watched filmed with, and have been justified like they get their opportunity and they shine or something to that effect because that's a good point because and I think um you saw something that apparently the coaching staff didn't see until there was enough injuries to allow Ryan Bates to play which is a whole other topic for you know a whole other discussion but have there ever been other uh instances you can think of where you're just like yeah, that came, that happened, and I'm glad, finally. Like, I thought it was just me. Like, I thought I was seeing good things out of this player. Now the Bills are finally seeing it. So, yeah, Bates would be the biggest one, and I'll pull back a little bit on that. I don't know if I saw necessarily things that the coaches didn't. I think they were finally ready to transition to uh, a scheme on the offensive line that matched what Bates does well, which is uh, that, that kind of mobile, agile uh, model where he's not going to bowl people over, but when they stop trying to get that from their line, I think they figured out that Bates might be a good fit with that more more mobile line. So um, I think when they adapted to what he did well, it just kind of flowed naturally. But uh, on the defensive side of the ball, uh, I've been on the Levi Wallace train. Unfortunately, he's he's kind of gone, uh, which made me very unhappy this year. But him and, and Taron Johnson, both of them, uh, I've been beating the drum for them since the, the first second I laid eyes on them and, and really praised their, their uh, on-field intelligence and instincts, um, which definitely, again, in, in all the gifs I have, um, that stands out phenomenally, especially Levi Wallace and, and Taron Johnson uh, as well. But um, sticking to players who are here and going to contribute this year, Taron Johnson's one. Uh, they just keep relying on him more and more. So I loved him from day one. And uh, day one, he was kind of a spot starter. And now, uh, you know, before he signed his, his most recent contract, I said, you know, people need to stop looking at this as, a, as an overpayment because you're not paying – for a part-time player here. This is not a slot corner that is a part-time player. He is basically a fifth defensive back that is on the field all the time. He is a, a starting player. Uh, slot corner for the Bills is not a, a, a part-time gig. So I think that's something uh, where maybe I'm a little bit uh, justified or, or, or feel good about that early call. And then another thing with him, he comes across as such a small player, but he hits uh, huge. He hits like he's huge. So mm -hmm. I saw a lot of that stuff early. Uh, at least I'm going to give myself the pat on the back and say that I did. Uh, and and I think that's been justified the last couple seasons with him. 
<laughs> you should have also added those are really good ones, by the way, Levi Wallace. And they kept trying to replace Re- Levi Wallace, and they yeah, never, no, never, <laughs> never could. Hopefully, they have this year, but we'll see. And then Terry Johnson, that was another really good call on that one, Jeff. You should also just mention uh, Josh Allen. You were the first one to think that Josh Allen could be a franchise quarterback too. Just add that on there too. Just I, so. I actually, it was kind of the opposite. Um, so I'm gonna I'm gonna give the full story. Wait, wait, wait! No, 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 no! Just kidding, just kidding. Go no, ahead. no, my my uh, my early Josh Allen opinion was, I saw the potential that everybody did, but I'm also a data guy. So I did a, I think it turned into a three year series where I took a look at, uh, for two years, multiple articles. I forget the exact duration, but what's the expected amount of change for a quarterback from from year one to year two, and then from year two to year three. And uh, looking at it was pretty grim. So being objective, and, and I don't even think Josh Allen would argue with this, but being objective, Josh Allen's year one was not good enough. It, it was just a bad year, statistically, output, however you want to look at it. So everybody who was a supporter of him back then, uh, yes, you were justified in that support, but you were looking at potential. You were not looking at results. Um, and going from the data, looking at the results, year one, you know, I took a look. What should year two look like? Well, you know, we hope we get there. And, you know, he did, he did actually kind of meet the model for average growth in year two. But even that year two was kind of like, he's not the guy, he's not a franchise guy. Like he's, he's starting to, to get where we want, but he's nowhere near where we really want him to be. So from a, from an article writing standpoint, I definitely was part of the skepticism uh, club for Josh Allen, just based on the stats. But I always did try to temper mine with this, this, uh, but, here are the outliers we're hoping he reaches. This, this idea of hope, because I, I'm going to tell you the first time I ever saw, the first time I formulated a firm impression of Josh Allen was actually at a preseason game. And uh, when you watch a ton of football, like anybody can tell you, when you, you really study body mechanics, you look at things, when the quarterback releases the ball, you have this this instant impression cognitively of how far that ball is going to go. Like how much effort did that quarterback in to, to throw the, the ball? And we're at this preseason game, and Josh Allen throws this ball, and I'm convinced it is maybe a 20-yard throw. Because he just he throws it casually, like it's just this. You can tell he's putting a little oomph into it, like it's not a, a check down to the running back, but it's nothing like this world beater throw that that you're used to. And so I'm like, it's probably gonna be a 20 yard pass. It's what it looks like to me. It's what it feels like. And it just kept going, <laughs> and the whole crowd knew it. I mean, it was one of the, it, it, weird for a preseason crowd where you're like everybody's kind of stunned in the silence because it's just this casual flick of the wrist for this guy, and the ball just keeps going and. If it never came down, it was still in the atmosphere to this day, I would have believed you. And that, that potential was something that was very apparent from basically the first time I saw him step out on the field. And uh, that's where I, I tried to temper because I'm hoping that that could be tapped into. You know, So I'm writing these stories or these articles on, on why the stats aren't looking good for him and why he, you know, one of the, the Vox guys... Uh, SB Nation, you know, <laughs> yes. if he succeeds, he'll have, he'll have outsmarted uh, all the entirety of math itself. It was the article, uh, basically. And that's true. Like, he, he broke things statistically. He broke math in order to be successful. Um, but that glimmer of hope from that, that preseason game is why I tried to temper what I was writing, because I saw something in him that I'd never seen in a, in a quarterback before, um, you know, after a lot of film, a lot of, a lot of live games and stuff. So, 
I always I always try to be on the right side of skepticism, but I got to correct you. I was definitely on the skepticism train for the first couple of years. Now uh, now I'll be the president of a fan club. <laughs> okay, so many things right there, Jeff. The, the first thing is uh, you're talking about that Vox article is like if, yeah. if Josh Allen succeeds, I'm putting that on a T Public shirt. Just you know, just that title. That's Perfect. all it's going to be on that shirt. Is just if Josh Allen succeeds. Um, the second thing is is i think i remember that preseason game wasn't it like his first pass was just like it this was. bomb and it was yeah. out of bounds it wasn't caught right yeah. it was just it, it was just it a wasn't bomb. a great pass by <laughs> for the right it was not a great pass like as far as the results of the game like you score you win you you know as far as the actual results but for a preseason game and for the athleticism and the arm strength it was just unbelievable like yeah, it, it, it hit the turf, but yeah. it took so long for it to do it that everybody was still like, oh, my God, what the heck did we just see? Um, so we were happy with it, even though it wasn't, uh, you know, statistically the best outcome. Yeah, no, but it's just funny that you said that. And I actually remembered his first pass as a pre. I mean, I, I don't know if I was maybe I do that for every quarterback that comes through like, oh, but that one just remembered. I remember them thinking like, oh, they're just going to let him air it out. The first his right. first preseason pass like that's not normal. <laughs> like they don't, no. <laughs> they don't usually do that. It's almost like Dable wanted to like, you know, uh, show off his talent, display his talent. Right. right? Um the other thing was, um, we were talking about Josh Allen and, you know, you're going through season by season where you think that he should progress based on, you know, where you've seen, you know, players that have been successful in the NFL progress. And it's funny, I had this episode this off season where I talked with another podcaster and we basically spent the entire episode doing like a barroom conversation about Josh Allen versus Patrick Mahomes. And one of the things that sticks out to me is that like the things that data doesn't take into account uh, is the fact that like, and one of the reasons why I think Josh Allen may actually be better than Patrick Mahomes in a way, I'm not hundred percent sure about this, but why I could make an argument for it is that Josh Allen, unlike Patrick Mahomes, Patrick Mahomes had sat behind Alex Smith. Patrick Mahomes had Andy Reid, like you mentioned, a mastermind in Kansas City, a quarterback whisperer, um, Eric Bieniemy, a great offensive, like he and Tyreek Hill, Travis Kelsey. We've already mentioned like the talent around him, like. Patrick Mahomes was set up to succeed. Josh Allen on the opposite side was set up to fail almost like not meaningfully, not intentionally. Um, he wasn't even supposed to start that season, you know, and ended up in the first game. Um, his, instead of Tyreek Hill as his number one wide receiver, he had Calvin Benjamin, you know, like this offensive line, they had no cap space. They were like, he was, you know, it's so funny looking back at this because like, if anything, like Josh Allen probably should have failed. He doesn't get enough credit for him succeeding in the system that he did when really he probably shouldn't have, you know? Yeah, I would agree with that. Uh, the big thing there, and it's funny you bring up Kelvin Benjamin because he's one that, uh, you know, analysts should be, be willing to say when they got it wrong. So I, I actually like the Kelvin Benjamin signing because of the physical presence he could bring and the talent he could bring. Uh, but one of the things that is very hard to measure without being in the meeting room and, and getting to know these guys on a personal level is motivation. And, uh, you know, Benjamin obviously did not have it. And, and so that was a bad result in Buffalo. Uh, but I think uh, one other, this is where I will pat myself on the back. Uh, the, the offseason leading up to the Bills selecting their quarterback of the future, uh, you know, people saying, who do you want to see? Who do you want to see? Well, first of all, I don't watch a ton of college ball. Basically, the draft happens. Uh, Dan will send me some links over in the Slack channel for Buffalo Rumblings. 
And I kind of focus in, and, and the beauty of that is I'm looking at it through um, NFL pro personnel eyes. I'm, I'm looking at it expecting NFL speed, expecting NFL strength. So I, I think that, that gives me a little bit uh, self-plug there, but uh, it gives me a little bit different uh, perspective on that that I think is, is a healthy one for watching college ball. So first off, you know, I don't have a, a lot of opinions on these guys because I don't watch a ton of them, but I am starting to see some highlights. I'm starting to see some discussion. And while I was actually personally a Baker Mayfield fan, um, what I wanted the Bills to do is do what they needed to do to get their guy because this is a guy that is going to be in every meeting room. He's going to be the face of your franchise, and you're going to live or die with him. So you need to be completely in love with him. And I use that term deliberately. It's not a, a like the guy. It's not a think he can be successful. You need to be, uh, you know, if, if you weren't already with somebody, you're, you're almost willing to marry this guy. Like you need that, maybe not romantic love, but you need that really intense ability to bond with this, this human being because if it doesn't work out, then you get what happened to Baker Mayfield, <laughs> speaking of which, you know, you have that. Uh, Josh Rosen, they, they weren't all in. And uh, he's another guy, I'll stick up for him talent-wise. He had, he had a lot of talent uh, in the league, but he was set up to fail, and a lot of that comes from that cultural aspect. So from a on-paper standpoint, Josh Allen definitely almost was set up to fail. I mean, the, the circus of who's starting quarterback for the beginning of the year. It's an open competition, and Nate Peterman wins it. And you know, I'm writing articles about the Pythagorean theorem and why arm strength matters and why I don't have a lot of confidence in Nate Peterman. And, and he's still somehow ahead of Josh Allen, and uh, he flames out game one, and now suddenly you're in this unexpected position. And, yeah, the, the surrounding talent is lousy at times, uh, unfortunately. So, yeah, on paper, there's a lot of reasons to think that he was set up to fail, but I think they nailed the most important thing, which is that cultural aspect. And, and they found the guy who worked well with them and had that motivation that he was not going to be beat no matter what. And, uh, you know, look at uh, a dreaded name, Tom Brady. Uh, how did he last in the sixth round? Well, because people didn't see the, the potential there, and uh, he fell to the right place, and that motivation has taken him beyond anybody's wildest dreams. And that's where we're hoping Josh Allen will go as well. And, uh, you know, that's the part I think they really nailed. They, they did go out and find that person they fell absolutely head over heels in love with, and uh, it's worked out very successfully for us so far. Absolutely, absolutely. Thank God, thank God it has. Yeah, this yeah. is this is why yeah. it's an exciting season. We might right. be talking. I might be having you on the Circling the Wagons podcast this season. We win a Super Bowl because of Josh Allen, and that's an exciting, it's an exciting thing. The thing to say, you know. And, and for uh, my Winging It fans, I actually I already have a Super Bowl recipe, and uh, I, I haven't even told Matt this, but the Super Bowl recipe probably will be my last. So if they do make it to a Super Bowl. I have the ultimate thing that I don't think I'll ever be able to top, and that might be the last wing in it recipe as well. So just a heads up. Very cool. Very cool. I, w- I want to get to wing in it. I just I have one more question about yeah, no, players. Absolutely. Players. Um, we've talked about a ton um, in our discussion. We talked about you know 2021 film review on the defensive and offensive side of the ball, defensive line, Ken Dorsey, uh, Brian Dable, um, new players. Uh, I wanted to talk about sleepers that people don't think about that are on the roster that like we just kind of forget because they're not the shiny new toy that we get in the draft or free agency. I mean, there's a lot of players um, that are on this roster that I'm not even talking about taking a step up that haven't even taken a step, you know, right? Like in, as far as, you know, us as fans have seen um, and writers and, you know, podcasters. So um, are there any players that you could see as a sleeper that could get a shot potentially at the 53-man roster that we're not talking about or even thinking about? At the 53 is tough. Um, you know, so, so 
where my current analysis takes me, it's hard to get some of those back-end players to have a ton of faith. Uh, the other part that makes it difficult for this year is there's not a ton of turnover in, in some of the main cast. And uh, trying to see guys kind of crack past and, and get through um, you know, some of the established guard is, is going to be difficult. Um, but as far as sleepers go, uh, you know, I'm not sure about necessarily crack to 53, but additional playing time we might not expect. Um, Jordan Phillips is one. Uh, and again, coming back to that motivation factor, uh, you know, watching him live, I, I went to a ton of games that year, or the last year he was here, just watching how he pumps up the crowd and the amount of fun that man has on the field. Uh, you, you can't, you can't purchase that, you know, no matter what you do. That's something that he's got to come with and, and he does. So that enthusiasm, that love for the game could take you places. And, uh, I remember one, one gif I made of him lined up as defensive end just because I mean, he, he's, he's a lot more talented, a lot more versatile than a lot of people give him credit for. So could he push for, for more playing time than I think people are expecting? Absolutely. Uh, and the other one, similarly, we already talked about him a little bit. Dane Jackson, uh, you know, Trey White potentially being, being, uh, sidelined a little bit longer than we're hoping for. Uh, does he have the potential to keep, uh, Elam on the bench? I think he might. Uh, Elam, I, I, I liked what I saw from the college film, but, Dane Jackson has a lot of potential too, and if there's one area of the team we know they can coach uh, and get the best out of their players, it is definitely those defensive backs. So if Dane Jackson, you know, keeps Elam in the uh, the red shirt kind of season mode, uh, I wouldn't be too terribly surprised. I love it. I love it. Now, you know, you and I have had. Uh have had discussions before about your winging it articles. Um, you have a lot of really great recipes and stuff like that. Um, by the way, like, how did you get into this? Are you just a fan of, are you just a culinary fan, Jeff? Or is this, is this a matter of like, you know, there's, there's some, are you a cook on the side? Like how did, how did this come, come about? I've always enjoyed it a little bit. And, uh, you know, I like, the whole mystery of things. So it's one more thing for me to, to kind of wrap my head around and try and combine things and, and play around with it. And it's functional. You know, you know, when you grow up and uh, have to adult all the time, uh, <laughs> it's tough to find find ways to be creative and, and be passionate about things. So that does give me an outlet to take something that has to be done. You know, we have to eat. <laughs> so it gives me that have to, but it gives that kind of creative aspect to it uh, as well, which is nice. So that that's definitely a big part of it. And, um, it actually all started, uh, I used to live out in the eastern part of the state for a while, and the wings out there are terrible <laughs> overall. So, you know, I had to learn how to make wing sauce, and, and over the years, that, that's just gotten better and better. And, uh, you know, when you start down that, it's basically two ingredients. you got butter, you got hot sauce. Uh, what else can I do to make that better? So that has exploded uh, into, it's what, four seasons now? So we're, what, about 70 different recipes, most of them including wing sauce. Uh, so, yeah, it's definitely exploded, and I've done some things where even I look back and, and think to myself, man, that, that one went off the rails a little bit, huh? <laughs> uh, but they, they're all good, it, it, except maybe one one exception uh, I can warn people of. Um, I will won't say it here, but there's one recipe where I, I, I don't stand behind it and I wouldn't <laughs> recommend it. It, it. It's apparently authentic, um, but apparently authentic does not always mean good. So there, there's one regional specialty uh, that, that may be, uh, you know, Maybe I'll say it. the Washington football team, uh, the Commanders now. The, the one I did for them, uh-huh. uh, their regional specialty. I just don't don't have a ton of faith in. And uh, my take on it's okay, but I, I hope that people expect better than okay out of me. But <laughs> so so what is you talked about all these different wing sauces? Like I mean, I'm a big wings fan. Like like what is your favorite? Like I mean, I'm sure you have your go to wing sauce. Like what was the most fun wing sauce that you made? 
where you're just like, that was amazing. Like, I make it all the time now because of that, or I make it more often than I ever would have. Yeah, so there's a couple I've gone back to, um, surprisingly. Most of the time, I just kind of wing it's intentional because most of the time I just see what's in the cupboard, <laughs> and I know certain things pair well with, with other things, but I'm, I'm going to toss new things out. I'm sure my family's sick of that, but, you know, I'm going to just put in whatever we got and you know, I like to include a sweet ingredient. That's something I've, I've learned over the years. A little bit of sugar or, or sweetness uh, can really balance the sauce very well in, across a variety of dishes. But whether that's, you know, soda or fruit juice or even a little bit of brown sugar or, you know, I've, I've used just about everything you can think of that has just sugar content in it. Um, you know, the Colts one has marshmallows in it. That, that used to be one of my go-to sauces was the marshmallow-based sauce. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the two that really stand out... Um, the X Panther sauce I did, which was uh, one I did for for the Carolina game this last season, uh, I was kind of throwing in a couple things that are the Carolina theme, but I wasn't 100 percent sure how well they they mingle in together. So uh, Pepsi and pickle juice are both in that that particular recipe because those are both Carolina things, and uh, I I got to tell you that, that it came out fantastic, even better than I was hoping for. It's one of those you know cross your finger moments. Pepsi and pickle juice. You're not you're not lying. There. I am not lying. That that is two of the key ingredients in that one, and uh, they bring out just a ton of flavor uh, on the wings. I, that one I did throw right on wings uh, because I wanted to be more of a true wing sauce recipe for that one. And yeah, that's definitely one of my go tos. And if you have those things in the cupboard and you're making wing sauce and you feel pretty comfortable with that, just a little bit of the pickle juice and uh, simmer some Pepsi down uh, to get get a little bit of higher sugar content. And you, you will not regret it. It's definitely a couple of great additions. And uh, the one that, that surprised me the most, though, uh, and I've, I've done a couple times, um, the whole article is basically a joke on how awful the culture is in Jacksonville. Uh, I, I searched for probably about a week. So I, I do put a ton of research into what's a regional specialty. And the closest I could find on regional specialties for Jacksonville was this, this semi-racist named sandwich. And it, there's nothing special about the sandwich. The sandwich is it's on pita bread. Oh my God! Like nothing special about that. And, that's a and delicacy most, in Jacksonville to have pita well, bread or to know what it is. That's, that's right. Pretty yeah. Special. Well, the worst part is I found multiple art, not just one, multiple articles that said, you know, what's the, you know, people often ask, what's the the regional specialty in Jacksonville? We don't have one. Uh, we're we're still looking to find that. We, so to, to to come across that uh, about a city was just it blew my mind. So I. I I intentionally, it's probably my worst picture ever. I intentionally made like the crappiest looking picture and I ripped on the city of Jacksonville like so bad for that, that article. Cause it's just, it's just a sandwich. Like, mm-hmm. I mean, come on, you can't do better than like, it's not even a sub. It's just, it's awful. But, uh, the sauce I made was, was, uh, based off a of tabula salad, which included a little bit of mint and I think some citrus in that sauce. And I got to tell you, phenomenal like the sauce like the whole article's a joke but if you're going to try a sauce that's off the wall that really that flavors came together well uh do yourself a favor and look that one up the sauce came out amazing on that one i've made that a few times uh just kind of in celebration of, of how happy that accident went because i got to tell you that the sandwich was just completely disappointing <laughs> <laughs> now you and i have talked specifically about garbage plates uh, yes being in the area uh Normally, when people think of garbage plates, or if people don't know about garbage plates, if they're listening to this podcast, normally you have like some sort of meat, either a cheeseburger, hamburger, or a hot dog, and then you have two sides, right? Yep. And they're usually covered with meat hot sauce of some sort, right? Usually. Um, the sides usually include mac salad, french fries, or home fries, or baked beans. You are at least when I talked to you three years ago, were a firm proponent of 
baked beans, which Absolutely. I've, which I've never actually had ever on a garbage plate or have seen people have on a garbage plate, but I believe it exists. Are you still in that camp of baked beans on your garbage plate? A hundred percent. Yeah, that's the way to go. So I know I've heard a lot of people talk Jeff, about this. Jeff, I'm going to have to edit this out. I'm going to no, have to edit this out. I'm not going to be invited back after this. But yeah, no, uh, I know a lot of people like Mac Salad, but the only way you can make Mac Salad like good is to add so many things to it that it becomes its own dish. So it's no longer that side. And, and even then, um, you know, I'm not a big mayonnaise fan. It could be dubious, you know, even then. But oh, yeah. you know, basically... You know, the, in most of the forms for the for the plates in the area, you're looking at you know just basically noodles and mayonnaise, and that's really all it <laughs> yes, is. Yes, so it's it like, is. It is. That's uh, all it is. I mean, that's all. That's all it's you're so getting. So much enough. mayonnaise. It's so much it mayonnaise. Is. And right. if you don't like mayonnaise, I can see why you do not like right. that. And and it, I mean, it doesn't add a ton of flavor. It doesn't really add much of the experience. So for a lot of people, it's that cooling factor for the the hot sauce, which is mm. everywhere. And then you got the onions. You know, you might have diced onions. On top, so I can get it from from a lot of people's perspective, but from a flavor perspective, and actually balancing those ingredients, you know, it's really just it's so basic and and kind of bland. It doesn't really add much to the experience for me. So I'm team baked beans all the way, um, you know. And if you're making one at home, um, absolutely, you can you can kind of play around with the types of beans. And I'm a huge advocate, as I've already said, about a little bit of sweet uh, when you're, you're going with hot sauce. So you can get um, you know honey style. You can get uh, you know, some, some southern barbecue style beans, which add that, that flavor, that kind of more, uh, robust sweetness to it. And that, that to me is, the, that's the play. That's going to be the play every time. Uh, I mean, you know, think about what you put next to your burger, your hot dog. A lot of people are going to say Max salad. I get it. But, you know, when you're throwing all those things together, uh, I think I hear my wife in the background saying Max salad is the way to go. So she agrees <laughs> with you. So, <laughs> um, I thought I, it was, I, know, I thought it was just me because I was no, just like, man, no. am I the only one? <laughs> I am on an island with this one, but it's, it's, you know, if there's a place there, I'm going to live and breathe and be on my own. It is on this debate and it is King Baked Beans. Uh, and if some places don't offer that, that is not a, it's not a common thing. And if you don't offer it, I'm just going to get double fries or I'm going to get double home fries or whatever it is because yeah. the mix, salad, it just doesn't add anything. But, but again, I, that's the hill I will die on. And, uh, <laughs> Uh, it's probably the reason I don't get invited to many podcasts. <laughs> that is definitely not. So, so um, I completely get because I wasn't a big Mac salad fan until you know at a certain point in life. So I always did double French fries, double Max or double uh, uh, home fries. Here's a question for you: Are you a, a hot sauce fan? Meat hot sauce? Yeah, but it's got to be done well, mm-hmm. um, and I've done it poorly on my own. So, oh yeah, me too. <laughs> one of the the biggest things is you got to have balance there, and uh, the the key ingredient I found recently when I'm trying to make my own plates at home is a little bit of water in the sauce, mm. uh, because one of the, one of the things you can run a heavy risk of is um, getting a little bit too much concentration in the flavor. So you you know you're cooking everything and you simmer some of the the natural water out of the hot sauce, and suddenly you have this salty mess that is almost inedible. So I, I'm a, a big fan of the hot sauce with meat in it, the Rochester style, which actually it's very similar to uh, Skyline Chili. Uh, mm-hmm. Yep, exactly. Consistency is almost identical, right? Consistency-wise. Yeah, yeah the, the big thing there, if you want to get the consistency right, you're going to want a blender. Uh, you're not going to be able to ground it, get the ground meat from the, the store and uh, go right to the pan with it. You're going to want to brown a little bit, maybe hit it with a blender real quick to get mm-hmm. that finer grain yep. uh, with the meat. And that can make a huge difference because now it's now it's more a topping and not uh, you know sludge. So that that's that's huge. But um, I'm a big fan of it. But you can go wrong with it very easily. 
Yes, absolutely. So I've made hot sauce probably maybe a dozen times on my own. And one thing I've done, which I have never done the blender, but I believe it because I've screwed it up before and it's been right. like it's been like chunky. You know, you don't want yep. chunky hot sauce. Yeah. Um, I've uh, simmered the beef in like water. Right, mm-hmm. and it just like kind of dissolves on its own and yeah. gets that like like that really like nice like fine meat sauce. So so here's a question. So you like meat sauce? I like meat sauce. Are you team ketchup on your garbage plate or team no ketchup on your garbage plate? I can live with the ketchup, but I generally avoid it. Mm-hmm. So that might be part of the big bean debate too, because you know adding sugar and sugar might be too much. Um, but yeah, I think, uh, ketchup and a lot of the hot sauce, um, notes don't play as well together as I'd like. So I think when you're, you're doing that, it's just one flavor too many. I think the mustard balance is better, uh, which is more traditional with, with the plate. Mm-hmm. Um, I've done ketchup before. I'll eat it. Uh, I won't turn it down, <laughs> but, uh, it's not going to be something I reach for. So and that's not a knock against ketchup. I do enjoy ketchup. I think there's a place for it, just not on a plate. I, I completely respect your opinion. I, I, my co-host during the season, Mike and I, we've always had plates growing up since high school, and uh, we are we're degenerates when it comes to ketchup. Unfortunately, like we would be, and even to this day, which is I'm glad because we don't get garbage plates that often nowadays. Uh, but like we would be that those people that would get like their own ketchup bottles and bring it to the thing <laughs> and right. not use it all because we're not we're not complete you know degenerates, but we're pretty close. So like you know use most of it, and it's just like something about the sweetness with the hot sauce specifically just i don't know i'm sure it's probably making other it's making me hungry it's making other people hungry but uh jeff thank you so much for coming on um to talk um it's really cool to have someone as knowledgeable um as you about all these different areas um as far as you know player schemes you know uh discussions um on you know new players old players um it's always a treat to talk to you um always good to get that sort of insight and i'm sorry it's been three years uh but we'll definitely have to have you on again soon and uh and thanks for coming on man yeah my pleasure thank you
Thank you for listening to the Circling the Wagons podcast. Download and subscribe to us in your favorite podcast service. Email us at ctwpod at gmail.com. That's Charlie Tango Whiskey Pod at gmail.com. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter at ctwpod. And most importantly, go Bills! Nobody circles the wagons like the Buffalo Bills. Nobody circles the wagons like the Buffalo Bills, mate. <laughs>